heard the call to build your small business? Make it happen with a .NET domain name, the place for dreamers for 30 years and counting. Visit keepdreamingup.net for tips and advice. Whether you're just getting started or looking to grow, that's keepdreamingup.net. You are Locked On Hornets, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. In a minute, cause we live. We live. We live. This is Locked On Hornets, your daily podcast on the Charlotte Hornets and the NBA. Subscribe and rate us on iTunes. Follow us on Twitter at Locked On Hornets. And also, we're taking this offseason to fancy up the website a little bit, LockedOnHornets.com. You want to check that out, too. Some interesting info on there. And we'll be doing a lot of cool things with that uh, when the season ramps back up. I'm Doug Branson, joined by my friend, the man, the myth, the legend, uh, the only guy that can podcast and drive at the same time, David Walker. <laughs> What's up, Doug? What's going on, man? How was your weekend? It was good, man. Uh, back at it. You know, no off season here, so we're ready to go. That's right. Yeah, I had a good weekend too. I spent. Yeah. Uh, I was in Red Bank, New Jersey. Okay. Only, but really, my first time to New Jersey. I've been to New York a few times. Been up north awesome. quite a bit. But my first time hanging around New Jersey. Red Bank's a cool little town. If you ever get yeah. a chance, great cannolis. Ooh, and some delicious cannoli. That's my favorite dessert, David. Really? Okay. Yeah, it's wonderful. There's nothing wrong with a cannoli. You don't see it's too a, many cannolis just around on the streets, but I it's guess. tough. It's tough here in Charlotte. It's tough down yeah. south, but up north they are plentiful. Mm-hmm. Cool, right. man. Got a lot going on in this show. We've got to talk some draft because there's some news, there's some changes, there's some shakeups in this draft. Yeah. Some new people heading towards the Hornets, it looks like. So we'll get to that <laughs> here in a second. But first, we got to talk about these NBA Finals, David. We just got done with Game uh, 2 last night. I've got a few takes. Yep. Got okay. a few NBA Finals takes. I've been watching. I, I, I watched it, and then I watched Twin Peaks, and then I, I watched, right. and then I finished the Finals. Uh, so would you, you dip out at halftime and come back? Yeah. Okay. I was going to do that, but I'm not ready. You're, you're live, Twin Peaks live. I'm, I'm not in the new Twin Peaks uh, yet, so I'm not, I'm not quite there. It really, without spoiling it for anyone, it really is. It is fantastic. Mm. Even, even last night's episode, which was a little, I think, on the slow side. I mean, it's, right. David Lynch <laughs> is, is really teasing us at this point, uh-huh. the director. But it is still at its that's when you know a show is really hitting when at its slowest, you're still you're still intrigued. And it's it's really torturous because there are people. See, I just joined the Twin Peaks Revolution uh, three weeks ago, but there are people that have been waiting. This is hard to believe, hard to imagine. There are people 20, a quarter century. They've been waiting for this moment so did you did you watch the entire series prior to the new one i know you've told me this but i can't remember i i did what a lot of people told me to do which was i'm a sheep essentially when i watch tv Uh, i i watched the first season and then watched about half of the second season okay and then skipped several episodes for reasons that if you'd like to research you can but Uh then i watched uh several i watched the last three episodes of the second season 
And then, of course, uh, there was a movie. I watched right. the movie. And then yeah. I'm now on the new season. And, I, and I, I, I will go back and watch those episodes at some point, but I'm okay with not watching them right now. That's the pattern I've started to take, and I'm at that point right now where I could jump off. I, I can't decide if I'm just going to keep going through the rest of the second season or not. I, I kind of want to. Kind of feel like that with these NBA finals, too. I'm not sure. <laughs> I feel like with these people. Well, I just, no, I just feel like I don't know if I need to finish this thing. I think it's oh, over. I was going to go. Uh, well, yeah. Well, I mean, we said that last year, uh, but I don't think it's quite the same because Kevin Durant is playing in Golden State now. But I will say this. I think these are the most enjoyable lopsided games I've, yes. I've ever watched. You know I, it's, I mean? going, it's going to be – this is what's going to happen, okay? The Warriors are going to win this thing in four or five, and there will be all of these articles about how – lopsided these entire playoffs have been. But I really agree with you, David. I think that basketball still doesn't get any more fun than what we've seen in these past two games, how hard these guys are competing. Imagine, David, if all of of the regular season were like this, if if they could do this for, say, 20 games, 15 games, we're all like this. Yeah, imagine. I mean, you've got – think about what you had last night. You imagine had Curry and LeBron. <laughs> you imagine. Uh, they had both had triple-doubles, right? LeBron had almost a triple-double at halftime. It's just incredible to watch. And then you throw in you know, the overarching theme of just the Warriors and their style of play and the threes and how exciting it is to watch games. Especially, I think it is cool – really, to see a home game for the war. I mean, it's become a thing now, obviously, but that place, when they just start bombing threes and get a couple going their way, it's it's really a scene unlike anything else in the NBA, clearly. But, like, that, look, that roster, Doug, it's just, you know, we're talking about the draft and where the Hornets need to position themselves and, like, like where they're going to land in the East. And, like, I mean, if they keep this thing together – uh, you know, like what else is everybody playing for at this point? I mean, that, that's what it's starting to feel like, right? Because because like once they get rolling downhill, if they can keep a couple of these um, periphery guys on the roster too. Like if KD takes a little less money, um, that probably this could I, be. I don't know if that's well, gonna happen. I, you don't think so? No, I, I don't. Think Why so. not? Why I think not? we're over. I think we're over that era, uh, especially when you have several superstars on the team. I think it's going to be mm-hmm. difficult to get. Maybe, uh, maybe. But I think this series in particular, uh, and Game 2 really solidified this for me, came down to one simple principle that was bigger than LeBron James, which is tough for anything Uh to be bigger than LeBron James, bigger than Kevin Durant, and bigger than Steph Curry. The Cavaliers had multiple players on their roster that were not playable anywhere close to the amount of minutes they had during the regular season and or playoffs or if they were playable if you had to play them like darren williams they have to play darren williams but not not a good look but it's not and and i look at tristan thompson and and tristan thompson was so key last season in in the finals last year and in the playoffs up until this point and it's like look how hard they had to fight against the Celtics. look how big he was look how important look how effective he was and he has been a non-factor in this series I think, I mean, I thought the Warriors were going to have a tough time, like, keeping them off the boards or, you know, keeping them from getting rebounds and putbacks. But 
he can't do anything. It's 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 incredible. And the and the Warriors they have zero. They have zero players that they that they really cannot play like they've well, been playing yeah, all man. season. I mean, it, yeah. you know, Livingston had what? Livingston had ten last night. They had two play. They had two base yeah. players with double figures. They, they're, it's, it's, they're like six or seven deep. I mean, in reality, right? I mean, I guess I guess you throw McGee in there. But um, this is but that's the surprising. point, David. Is that they're they're six or seven deep, but those six or seven can guard four positions. Mm. Mm. And that's what's well, look. The Warriors are winning on defense. It's it's Clay Thompson's well, smothering defense. It's Andre Iguodala stifling LeBron. And and the mm. fact that on the other end of the floor, LeBron has to it seemingly has to take every single difficult matchup and win some and lose some. Yeah, I mean, I still think the scoring outbursts are huge. I mean, look, the, the Warriors have what they had what, twenty turnovers or something last night? And they still scored like forty in the forty in the first quarter. It's how they play. It's how they play. One eighteen, and it's, 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 it it's makes just, you wonder if they could. It's just how they play. Like twenty turnovers is a result of them wanting to cause chaos and be frantic. And right, but the game before they had like three. They had a finals low. It's and, like that's what I'm saying. Like for, from the Cavs' viewpoint, it's like well. You know, we get, we get them to turn the ball over a little bit more. We may have a chance. It didn't matter. <laughs> and the exact same thing happened. So Steve Kerr returned to the bench. David, what do you what did you think that meant for the Warriors in this one? Uh, I mean, just a, a settling presence. It's not like he hasn't been there, though. You know what I mean? I mean, I think he's definitely a difference from Mike Brown. But um, I think it'll be more bearing out maybe on the road. We'll see something. Um, but I, I don't know that. It matters a whole lot when you talk about the culture they put in there and all this other stuff that we've seen, like when Walt was the on, culture. The, on the bench. Yeah, um, but I, you know, I think he can he can pull Steph aside, like you know, Curry said at halftime. He told him a little something about yes. you know getting his head right yes. back in the game. Had a lot I think of Curry. I think Curry was huge. I, I don't think I yeah. don't think you can discount what you just said. That mm-hmm. Steph Curry in the locker room at halftime, Coach Co, Coach Coach Kerr. Walks up to him at halftime and says, "Look, your body language is all wrong. Yeah. You're, you're letting the fouls, you're letting the referees get into your head." And so Steph Curry goes out in the second half, five of nine, seventeen points, eight rebounds, seven assists, including that nasty move that he put on LeBron James. You can't put that move on LeBron James unless your head is clear. That's a that's a forty foot putt. Your head's got to be clear, and I Did think you hear him? they asked him about that after the after the game, that move in particular, and they recounted it. It's like, well, you started off this way, then you dribbled around him in circles, and then you wanted to well, go right, the, and then you went left. But <laughs> see, that's it's perfect. Um, there's a lot of talk after this game too about reporters and what questions they ask because oh, someone man. asked LeBron James, "Hey, what happens if you don't defend home court?" It's like, "Hey, genius, we're eliminated. What do you think happens?" <laughs> Christ. <laughs> Um, but it's a perfect example because the two reporters asked Curry about it. One, oh, I want to get the wording right. One asked him about, essentially asked him about his feelings about doing that move or what what allows right. you to do it. And, and Curry kind of danced around it. But then the next reporter said, take me through that move take me through yeah. what what you're doing and players see when you ask players something like that 
they geek out. You can get players to geek out about basketball if you ask the questions the right way. And you ask, you know, instead of like, talk about what was going through your head while you're making that move. Like, they don't know what's going through their head. But they can talk about basketball. And and it was a perfect example. But I, I think we can't. I think, look, Mike Brown had th- them. I don't want to discount anything that Mike Brown did, because how tough is it for you to step in on that high of a stage, even though Mike Brown has coached in the finals before? Sure. But but he did an excellent job. But I think that Mike Brown had the Warriors playing like all-stars, and Steve Kerr just knows this team so intimately that he can get them playing like Hall of Famers. Hmm. Interesting. It's, so. it's, a, it's a ridiculous team i mean uh, you know that like people were asking me during the during this finals like could the could like nick batum for some reason his name came up play on either one of these teams or start on either one of these teams right and i was like well not on the no. warriors <laughs> not on the warriors he could start on the Cavs. i think you could put him at two on the Cavs. well you know why in my opinion because they they require their wings to play defense i mean clay thompson is one of the top five defenders in this league well, yeah, it's a super team. I mean, that yeah, I, yeah, that was that was my other point. But it's it, I mean, well, yeah, no, I, I I kind of agree with you in that it, it is talent, and from a talent perspective, yes. But also, if you play wing on the Warriors, you have to play intense defense, and yeah, also they're, they're, and also they're, turn they're, the ball. Yeah. See, he could turn the ball over. Yeah, they turn the ball over too. So there's that. But you also that's a they. I think to turn the ball over and only allow the Cleveland Cavaliers to score 113 and win the game, that and, and it sounds strange, right. 113 elite defense, but that's what's happening. And and their defense allows them to stop momentum. It's not just about playing th- their steady brand of defense throughout the game. It's about they can lock it down and when the the Cavaliers made several runs in this game, and they were able to lock it down, and then they had Sean Livingston come and hit two key buckets there in the third quarter when they had pulled it to four. Okay, all right, we've we we can we've beaten all four of these Hall of Famers. We pulled it to four. We we're, we got him on the ropes, and then Sean Livingston comes in. Who, by the way, I, I really like Sean Livingston as a free agent prospect for the Charlotte Hornets. Getting this, uh, we haven't well, talked. I'm sorry, we haven't talked. We've about. talked what? We've talked like ten minutes on these finals. I'm sorry, but we just haven't. What's going on, man? Well, we haven't been able to talk about it. I just, I really I wanted to talk about these finals. Okay, let's get into some draft talk. We've got some updates from mock drafts around the web. The big yeah. change coming from the draft experts at DraftExpress.com, updating their mock drafts. This is going to happen a lot, people, over the next couple of weeks. So I want everyone to buckle in, not overreact to one particular mock draft. Let's just kind of take these as they come and and try to figure this thing out. Uh, But they've moved Duke guard Luke Kennard up to the Hornets at the 11th spot. Kennard averaged 19.5 points last season, shooting 43.8% from three and 52.5% from two. Rich Cho was recently spotted at his NBA Pro Day, which could have had some influence on the Draft Express decision to move Luke Kennard up to the 11th spot. But it, it is... I think we should note the first indication that we've gotten that the Hornets are looking at anyone in particular because they have yet to schedule any workouts uh, for anyone in Charlotte. So, David, what do you make of this latest shift in Luke Kennard's draft stock? Very interesting. I think you'll see a lot of people, like you said, this is going to be kind of a fluid situation, but it makes sense because 
of the shooting factor. And we've listed off a couple of the main shooters in this draft, and it's really like Kennard. I mean, of course, you got Monk, but that's probably out of their range. Uh, Markinen, Kennard. I mean, maybe you throw uh, Justin Jackson in there too, but I wouldn't be surprised to see his name slide up a little as we get closer to the draft and some of these workouts keep going. So, I mean, it makes sense from that standpoint. I mean, he's a guy we profiled, though, as having a shot to be here because of his shot, right, because of his ability to score the basketball and, and the success that he had last year. I mean, Justin Jackson was the AC player of the year, but a lot of people thought it should have been Kennard, and he had a, a pretty good case for it. So I think it's interesting because the Hornets are, are clearly looking to add something if they do, in fact, make it, end up making this pick. I mean, they are trying to address some of their uh, holes here, and they're going to be able to do it in some form or fashion. And I think shooting is one of them, so it makes sense that he's up there. I do love the fact that, like, it, like any, anywhere one of these GMs shows up, it's it's a, it's like a tipping of the, you know, they're showing their hand a little bit at this point, or or that's the, how it's taken, and, and guys are slotted up, moved up and down. Like, they haven't, as you said, they haven't even had any workouts yet, and uh, you're seeing these guys move up and around in slots. So that's kind of the fun, <laughs> it's kind of an interesting thing to watch around draft time. And I don't think, like you said, I think it'll probably be, uh, there'll probably be some more movement as we get closer. If the Hornets did make Kennard their their pick at eleven, would you consider that a reach? I think so. I mean, that's what kind of what it feels like. Uh, would you consider it them change. falling in love with Luke Kennard and just saying, "Look, that's the, I know it may be a little bit of a reach, kind of a, well, maybe a similar to a Frank Kaminsky kind of situation." Yeah, Anna Cody Zeller, right? I mean, because they grabbed him at four is a little higher than I think most people thought at the time. So it wouldn't be uncharacteristic for this team to do that. I also think that's another way they could go, and I don't, wouldn't really blame them because we don't know what's going to happen at eleven. We don't know who is going to be there. If you know, uh, you know, Collins, Markinen, um, Dennis Smith, if all those guys are gone, um, then for them, and they can't make a trade, right? Then you know they may have to reach a little bit or address a specific area by reaching. So I, I think it could happen. I, I like Luke Kennard. I wonder how much interest there is around him at 11. If they could somehow manage to trade a couple of spots back, trade into maybe 14 or 15. And I mean, I think to me, the ideal situation, because I like Luke Kennard's game. I like the fact that he's he's six six. Hey, by the way, that's an inch taller than Jeremy Lamb, an inch taller than Marco Bellinelli. He's 202 pounds. He's got good size for a combo guard. Like if, if his playmaking ability comes through and, and, and actually translates to the NBA and gets better in his first couple of years, he could be a, danger, he could be a really dangerous offensive weapon because his yeah. shooting is going to be there. I don't think there's any question about that. He's going to be a really, really good shooter, could be an elite shooter, but the questions are his playmaking and, and can he play – uh, competent defense because I don't think he has the physical tools to be a Clay Thompson type of wing defender. I think he could. He it looks like he has the intensity. Like a lot of people talk about his intensity and his hard work and, and the kind of things that make you successful as a Duke basketball player. Like he has those, but I just wonder about the physical tools. Um, but I think the ideal scenario is if the Hornets could trade back and and unload a contract. Like a yeah. like a Jeremy Lamb or a Marco Bellinelli, something a reasonable contract, 
and, and shed some cap space, pick up the shooter that they want, and position themselves a little better in free agency, David. Because I feel like if they take Kennard, and, and you can uh, uh, talk about this, they, they would have to do something with Marco or Jeremy because that's a lot just, of redundancy at the wing. Yeah, getting a little crowded, right? Um, and, and I think you're repeating yourself a little bit. Like you said, maybe you're getting a, a younger Marco. Maybe a, maybe a probably, well, certainly a a, a more willing defender. I think it's probably safe to say at this point um, about Marco, but yeah, that's the idea. I mean, and I think most people that are advocating for trade um, is for that reason, just to kind of free things up a little bit. It's just, I don't know. I mean, I don't know what kind of trades they're going to be able to work out. You know what I mean? That's been the problem with this roster and trades uh, thus far. It's like how much, how attractive are the pieces to other people? I mean, that's the key thing. And it's, you know, these guys always look better. Uh, as part of this Hornets lineup than they do anywhere else. So. It's interesting because his comps on the ringer are J.J. Redick, Wesley Matthews, Grievous Vasquez. But, but I think Marco Bellinelli might be a decent comp. Yeah. If he get, he he would have to get a, a little bit bigger, but a little stronger. Yeah. But, you know, all it's, of these players, a- all these players have to get a little stronger. Yeah, it's the same thing with all these guys, right? Like, they're going to be able to maybe check off one box, but like, so with him, they'll they'll get the shooting, but they may not get the athleticism and the defense. And you know, with other guys, they're going to be able to get some of the two way play, like with the Zach Collins, but they may not get the shooting. We don't know. So it's like they're really just going to have to decide what. I, I think it's just going to come down to where they can add the most level of, of where they can add the most talent and what they need. You know, at that time, it's just it's, th- it's going to be fascinating. The thing that troubles me about the Luke Kennard selection and why it would really trouble me if they made that selection at 11 is because you, you knew, you know, the issues that the Hornets had last season and they revolved around defense. They revolved around physicality. They revolved around yeah. two way play. And, uh, you heard it over and over that the Hornets are a team that's based on skill, high basketball IQ, but they're not very physical. And if they make this selection at 11, it's like, OK, you're you're marching down that same road. I mean, this is a pick that's that's about yeah. high basketball IQ, <laughs> about skill and not really about. I mean, if you wanted to go in a different direction, if you wanted to add something that was missing, you, you would probably look at a guy like Donovan Mitchell from from Louisville. It'd be the same concerns. I, by the way, to be fair, it would be the same concerns that I would have about Justin Jackson, and I Justin like Justin Jackson at that pick. It's pretty similar. I mean, he gives you two more inches, but neither one of them are explosive athletes. Neither one of neither one of them are like high flyers finishing at the rim, which is really what you want out of your wing players. Um, of course, you want the shooting as well, but yeah, that's what they're missing. At least, so at least, at least, you know, Luke Kennard may not be. You know, a, a, an amazing athlete, but at least he gives you the size. I mean, it's 6'6", 202. Like, at least he's going to be, like, that's a good combo guard look in terms of uh, of just his, his specs. Uh, okay, hey, by the way, we talked to Amrith Ramkamur, uh, who covered Luke Kennard at Duke. I know we played this a few weeks ago, but I want to play it again because uh, this is the news that we have, and I just want to catch you up if you missed it. Uh, great. And if you didn't, uh, time to uh, bone up on Luke Kennard. So take a listen. All right, let's talk about Luke Kennard. Uh, CBS Sports called his season the most unexpected, spectacular season in 2016-17. <laughs> Do you agree with that assessment? And and if so, why? 
I can't really think of a more unexpected season, so I think I definitely would agree with that, just because Kennard wasn't even supposed to start for this Duke team uh, heading into the season. He was supposed to come off that bench, come off the bench and really be the spark plug early on, while guys like Tatum and Giles and Grayson Allen asserted themselves in the scoring columns. So I think from that perspective, the fact that he had one of the most efficient, prolific offensive seasons in Duke history from, from a guard, I, it was really just so unexpected because a lot of people expected him to come off the bench, if that makes sense. I think a lot of people knew this is something Kennard could be capable capable of down the road. But I don't think anyone expected that to happen in 2016-17 for a team with such high expectations. And that was expected to have really balance that never fully materialized. So I think it was the combination of the fact that a lot of guys were hurt. And then even when they did get healthy, Duke never had that depth that allowed Kennard to really flourish and become the team's go-to offensive player. Well, when he did become a go-to offensive player, what made him so uh, dangerous in that role uh, this past season? Definitely consistency shooting the ball from the perimeter. A lot of people seem to take it for granted that he was just a knockdown perimeter shooter. But if you look at his numbers as a freshman, he was only at 32% from beyond the arc and had a lot of really up and down games. Some games he was really locked in and others he was just not on balance and looked a bit rushed from the perimeter. So I think the combination, again, of him really getting settled in from beyond the arc and getting the same pattern going and rotating his body, getting on balance, elevating, rising, and firing. Uh, that really helped him a lot. He was up well over 40% for almost the entire season. And then what really set him over the top was his just footwork and patience in the lane. He was able to drive in and oftentimes use an array of fakes and jukes to get defenders off balance and finish inside. So and that really made him tricky because then he was able to set up the other parts of this game with a step-back jumper, uh, collapsing the defense, setting up teammates, all the things that made him so special on the offensive end for Dukes this season. So I think, again, a lot of those traits seem to translate to the next level, and he has really good size for a guard. So it'll be very interesting to see where he goes in the draft. And what do you think could limit his uh, ceiling in terms of his development in the NBA? Uh, personally, I think it's his ability to defend uh, other twos and threes, uh, other elite twos and threes, really. Uh, I, it depends whether you think of Kennard as a guy who, again, would come off the bench and be a spark plug, or if you want him to be a franchise cornerstone who like plays heavy minutes, starts at the two, and potentially defends some threes as well. I think defensively, if you look at his tape from the past season, there were still a lot of times where he struggled, especially in like pick-and-roll situations and some help-side help situations. So uh, I think depending on how much teams value that and how much they think he can improve in that area moving forward, that would really depend. Because a lot of the other aspects of his game are really incredible. I mean, games, so that doesn't seem to be too big of a concern. His passing, as I mentioned before, when defenses did kind of flock to him, was pretty solid as well. So I think defense would be the main concern for Kennard. And what do you see his ideal? I mean, it looks like he, he's probably going to be drafted in the back half unless um, you know he has another uh, uptick in his, in his stock. I mean, where do you see, what's the ideal landing spot for him? What kind of team would really benefit from having a Luke Kennard on their team? I really think a team that needs a knockdown perimeter shooter, to be honest with you, I, I still view that as his biggest strength and something that translates immediately to the next level just because his range is so impressive. It doesn't it didn't seem like he was 
always having to be just beyond the three-point line, a few feet behind, uh, in rhythm, like dribbling into threes in transition. Even by the end of the season, he was ready to rise and fire. So I think a team that has a need again for someone to come in immediately and contribute in that area would really help him be comfortable and find his niche really quickly. And then from there, I think you would see the other parts of his game develop. And I think a situation, by contrast again, where there were a lot of guys in the backcourt with similar skill sets and he wasn't really sure where he fit in might be a bit more challenging just because he would probably be looking to find his way quickly as well. All right, David, a lot of people are asking us on Twitter how we feel about, you know, what are, what are, what are our big board? What's our big board for the Hornets? Who do we want the Hornets to take with that 11th slot or what, what do we want them to do in the draft? So, David, what is your what is your big board stacking up like at this point? So I think the best case scenario for me, Doug, is still if Dennis Smith somehow slips down to the Hornets and he's available for them to grab at 11. I just think his talent level is above and beyond any of the other guys that are currently around in that range. And, I mean, I keep coming back to Zach Collins, Markinen, um, and Dennis Smith in there kind of as the guys – with the biggest upside, I guess, on the top tier of this draft, who may be there at 11. Um, and then I think you get into guys that we just talked about, like Kennard. And, I mean, I throw Justin Jackson in there just because of the shooting and the success he had on the college level. And I don't know, he went to North Carolina. Do you know that he went to uh, Carolina? Did you know that uh, MJ also went to Carolina? Did you know that? I, d- I didn't. Go on, please. Okay, okay. Um, yeah, yeah. Apparently, they both went to the same school. Someone should write that. So, I don't know. I mean, someone should like make theory. that connection. It feels like a theory that's just waiting to be plugged. But um, so I think that um, and then I think the second would be either the, the choice, which I don't think they'll have a choice of between Collins and, and Markin. And maybe I think is maybe the best uh, second best option for them. That's kind of how my big board shakes out. And then, again, reaching for maybe a shooter, because I think at 11, if, if those guys are gone and they're not going to be able to grab one of the top tier talents i think they need to address something you know check off one of those boxes right and shooting is one of them i think one of those two guys could be a reach there but i'm i'm struggling right now doug i'm curious i'm not hating any of these options and i mean we've previewed a lot of these guys i just i can't really find one that i'd be appalled with you know at this point now we'll see what happens on draft night who knows but like i'd be fine with collins at this point i think i think i think you can talk yourself Maybe that's what I'm doing, but I think all of these guys, you know, have some level of upside for the Hornets. It's not going to fill everything. You're not going to get your pita bread, you know what I mean, Doug? But I think you'll be able to address something in this draft, which they've got to do uh, based on their, you know, uh, free agent situation. I, I I agree with you on the Dennis Smith falling. That's my number one option mm-hmm. as well. Zach Collins, I think, is my number two option. I just I like even though he's tracking down right now, according to this new. Draft Express. We'll see. <laughs> we'll see fluid. how. We'll see how Chad Ford. Uh, he hasn't done one in a, in, in uh, I think a week or so. So we'll see how <clears throat> his big board tracks out as well. But Zach Collins sitting at thirteen right now, even below Donovan Mitchell. But I still like Zach Collins, and I think he gives you a little bit of upside along with. I mean, he already has that two way play mentality. Plus, you're getting some upside as well. I like that pick. Number three for me though is trade back. Just get back. Because then I'm more comfortable with a Justin Jackson. Then I'm more comfortable with a Luke Kennard pick than I am if they make that selection at 11-4. I have Donovan Mitchell uh, because we ha- it's a couple of guys that we haven't profiled yet. Uh, Donovan Mitchell, one of them, they are coming uh, either later this week or 
next week. Uh, who else haven't we done? John Collins is another one. I know we're doing John Collins. I think I have that interview today. Uh, so we'll we'll talk about these guys some more as well. And then I think kind of 5 and 5A are Justin Jackson and Luke Kennard. And then mm-hmm. 7 and 8 for me are trade out or trade up. I, trade up's way down the list for me because I just feel like what they would have to do. I don't want the number nine is take on any new salary. And I think to trade up, they would might have to do that, which is why I think it's impossible for them to trade up. And then uh, finally, 972 on my big board, David, people who open up a hot sandwich on a taxied airplane. My God, this (laughs) happened to me yesterday, uh, sitting in the, uh, on the taxi of the Newark, international airports and we were the weather was bad in charlotte so we're stuck on we're stuck it's we're we're 45 minutes in to what would eventually be an hour and a half in this godforsaken airplane and the dude next to me just decides all right time to crack open this hot sandy yeah i've got in my bag and it was like a steak sandwich it smelled Horrible steak sandwich and a steak sandwich. Wow. Good God. I just, it's like, it's the same as work. Like if I have, if I bring, you know, leftover fish to work, I'm not going to, I'm not going to expose people to those smells. It's like a cold cut sandwich. You could have been a little more open to. Yeah. Okay. Anything. Anything else. Well, like, like I have like a nice plate of eggs. No. God, why? Why would you? Why? Why? Why are why are people so inconsiderate, David? I don't understand. I mean, I look. I understand hunger. I understand needing nourishment. I understand dry mouthedness as well. Um, hey, Doug, get mad at the draft for two seconds here. If you had to, if you could just pick any of them, right? Number one pick, or and I'm kind of I'm kind of taking Fulton Ball out of this equation. Uh, for the time being, but any of these other guys up at the top, if they could, if the Hornets could just grab their guy, who would it be for you? Ooh, so tough because you wonder if they are even really scouting like a Jonathan Isaac or a Jason Tatum or a De'Aaron yes. Fox. Yes, but I think, ooh, this is tough. I think I mean, Tatum. I think Tatum is the guy for me. I just think like for what they need and what he can develop into and. Where the NBA is going, and these—I mean, you asked for it. Explosiveness, athletic athleticism, um, could give you some stuff on D. Can probably develop a pretty reliable a jump shot if he doesn't already have one. I think he would be very nice. I think if Jonathan Isaac could play the three, mm. I really like Jonathan Isaac and his ability and his upside in terms of his ability to um, drive, shoot, score on three levels, and be. A, a just eviscerating defender, shot blocking steals. I mean, he's going to, he's going to, I think he's going to be one of these guys who, you know, can give you three, three steals, two blocks, uh, you know, five assists. I mean, these guys that just really fill it up. Uh, I, I don't know if he's going to be a superstar necessarily, uh, but I just think he has uh, so much potential and he's got, and he's another guy like Tatum that's going to give you physical tools off the chart. And I think it's part of the problem when people think about Luke Kennard, they go, man, I love his game. I love his play, his vision, his passing ability. And he's, he's not even a point guard. I mean, he is a shooting guard and he shoots lights out from three, not afraid to shoot NBA level threes at Duke last season, knocked him down. But 
then you look at you look at his wingspan and you look at uh, you know his quickness and you go, I just don't know if any of those are are far and away above what anyone else could offer. And that's what's tough. All right, we'll talk more about it. Thanks for listening to Locked On Hornets here on the Locked On Podcast Network. Follow us on Twitter at Locked On Hornets. Subscribe to us on iTunes. And while you're there, give us a five-star review and help hardcore Hornets fans like yourself find this podcast. Shoot us your Hornets questions and thoughts to buzzbuzz at LockedOnHornets.com. We're back again tomorrow with more Hornets news and analysis for David. I'm Doug. Go Hornets. Go America. Let's swarm Charlotte. It's Ace's biggest LED light bulb sale of the year. Right now, buy one, get one free on our best-selling LED light bulbs. Our four-pack of LED bulbs is $9.99, and our two-pack of LED floodlights is only $12.99. Buy one, get one free. There's no limit on how much you can save, so stock up now. Hurry in. Buy one, get one free on long-lasting 10-year LED bulbs, now through Monday, only at your neighborhood Ace. See participating stores for details.